Hello, I am Matthew. Oh my god, my name is Douglas. Hi, I'm Malavika. And you're listening to Go, Go International! On this show, we'll be interviewing our international friends. Find out more about their home countries and perceptions of Singapore. Since you can't travel physically, why not travel through their experiences? On Radio, Radio Pulse, Pulse, the sound of NUS! Hello everyone, you're listening to Radio Pulse, the voice of NUS, and you're listening to Go International. With me today are... Malavika. Hi, I'm a year two life sciences major. Uh, hi, I'm Matthew. I'm a econs and statistics major. And last but not least, I'm Douglas, a year three PPA major. And you're listening to Go International. Woo! <laughs> so shall we um, start by introducing ourselves first? Um... Malavika, would you like to go first? Okay, yeah. So, hi. Like I said, I'm a year two life sciences major. I'm an avid reader and I'd really like to paint. Um, Matthew, would you like to go next? All right. I'm a year two economics and statistics major. So, you'll see me along a lot in FAS, a lot in FOS. So, hopefully, you can see you guys there. Um, a little bit about myself. I love walking my dogs. Yeah, two corgis. Super cute. And I love... Yeah, just generally listening to music and just hanging out with friends. Yeah, Douglas, how about you? All right. Um, I fun fact about myself is that okay, I, I hate that I'm making this about my personality all the time, but I I do love doing pole dance a lot, and I'm I, actually right after the show, I'm going for my class, so I got to rush off after this. But yeah, I I, I got into the sport um about a year ago, and ever since I've been pretty uh you know uh, enthusiastic about it. I you know even though I'm a PPE major, I'm also very interested in science like biology so in i'm actually in usp also so i do a lot of um, biology modules i actually just came back from um a walk um in uh the an intertidal walk where i got to look at lots of like marine animals so um malavika i'm actually just curious like, what kind of paintings do you do so actually i do a lot of oil paintings um oil and acrylic which is very different from watercolor any artist would know that Oil is actually a bit tough to work with because it takes a long time to dry. Mm. So most of my paintings take up to one to two months to complete. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's basically what I do. Um, Matthew, you mentioned you are really into biology. Can I ask what instigated that interest? Douglas. <laughs> my name is Douglas. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, everyone. We're all new here. <laughs> Introducing ourselves and getting to know each other. Actually, this is our, for, for context, right, this is our very first time meeting each other as well. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, I'm so sorry it's about okay. that. <laughs> um, what, what made me get into biology? Well, I guess mm, because in USP, they, off, they do offer um, quite a number of science modules. And I just took this uh, module called biodiversity for fun like when I was in year two and it was so interesting because we got to go out into like jungles and forests to catch insects and pin them up I got to see a whole ass bird getting stuffed with cotton wool and, and turned inside out yes yes okay I actually got to do it hands on as well like so I got to pull out its intestines and guts that and sounds really scary stuff really it gory yeah. <laughs> yes, but it's, it's really interesting because you never ever get that sort of experience right I mean I suppose our impression of biology is always that it's very um, theoretical it's very paper based you know I, I, and I'm, I, I guess it's nobody's fault because you know our JC or, or secondary school system is just built that way but in university always in USP it's really really hands on so after doing that module I, I just really wanted to do it again so I'm doing another one this sem on invertebrates and I think the thing that I really really love about it is that it's really hands-on you actually get 
to touch and feel, you know, all these things, which mm-hmm. is such a, a, a godsend after spending like hours looking at my laptop, you know, yeah, <laughs> writing out essays. Yeah, I remember when we were in bio class back in secondary school, we were just dissecting a frog or dissecting a, a pig's heart and we were just like, oh my God. And then, meanwhile, you are doing way more than that. And I don't know how you're grossed up by it. That's very interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. We didn't have dissections in secondary school or really? JC. Really? Yeah. Even oh. though I took bio at higher level. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps on the topic of, you know, Go International, I'm just curious, mm. like, what is the first place that you guys will uh, want to travel to after this pandemic's over? I want to go Seoul. I miss Korea. Korea is such an awesome place. It's like, how do I put it? It's very filled with food, filled with enthusiastic people. And I love K-pop. So going there, buying K-pop stuff, K-pop albums, you know, just having fun with my sister, who's also a very big K-pop fan. So going around, I think Korea was... Of Seoul for me actually was very fun and getting to interact with the locals who are very friendly and yes it's it's really a wonderful experience for me how about you Mala? I think uh, for me it would be Japan I actually visited in 2017 in December but unfortunately because it was winter we didn't get to see any of the cherry blossoms and stuff so I would really appreciate if I could go in like April May and see all of those uh, what about you Douglas? I think for me it would definitely be New Zealand because I, I I think my favorite memory of all time in like my whole life is, you know, climbing up a mountain in New Zealand and then watching the sunset and seeing and just staying, looking at the sky for hours. So literally just chilling there and watching as the sunset, you know, the stars and the moon rise up to the top. And because, you know, New Zealand is so pristine that there's no light pollution. So I could literally see the Milky Way and it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like, can you imagine? It's just a white mass of stars dotting the whole sky and just makes you feel, you know, so insignificant and, and yet so have amazing to be alive at the same time. So I definitely want to experience that again. I mean, in the meantime, I've just been making do with putting a picnic mat in Utah Green at night and going stargazing Still with better the than nothing. few yeah. stars. Yeah. I actually went to New Zealand in about 2010 and I actually had a very similar awe experience. I, I was, we had this um, stargazing thing and we were just under the stars and it was just so beautiful there. Uh, really clear skies actually. Why you guys have so much stuff? I'm always a city boy so I keep traveling to capital cities or just shopping. So well, I really want to try that one day. You're, you're a very... Singaporean, Singaporean, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. my parents love to go shopping. So everywhere we go, we have to go shopping. So like hearing you guys go stargazing, oh, chef, when, man? Do you have a lot of international friends, by the way? Actually, I do have a handful. Like uh, like our guests later that we will be hinting, hinting later. So um, yeah, actually, I do have a lot of international friends because mm-hmm. I actually talk to them or like, you know, online and actually, you know, getting to welcome them to Singapore, bring them around. And actually, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that it's, it's a very interesting experience for me because knowing them, they don't have the same background as us. They don't go to the same school as us. And I think just generally bring them like, you know, Introducing them, you know, integrating them into our culture is kind of interesting. And also hearing their stories from back home and how it's different from Singapore, I think, yeah, to me, that's something that we Singaporeans don't do. I'm pretty sure most of us here, we grow up with uh, the same Singaporean friends in primary school, secondary school, JC, and maybe even university. I think it's very rare to find those that have a different background. So yeah, I'm actually very privileged to have this opportunity to, you know, have this kind of friends on board. 
Yeah, and I think I because I stay in PGP House, which is located okay. on campus, um, I think a lot of international students populate the halls of PGP. So because of that, I've ha- also had the luck um, of meeting a couple of international students. And it's really interesting to see, you know, how different their experiences are compared to us. And that's why I'm so excited for this show to hear all about their um, life. Yeah. I think, I mean, USP itself has a number of um, international students, but I think where I've met like the most of our international students is actually from YNC. Because for, for some reason or another, I keep getting invited. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of YNC things and I keep getting invited back there. And then, you know, because uh, you all live in, in suites, right? So once you go there, you get to meet other YNC people like automatically. And then, you know, and, and YNC inherently by itself has a lot of international students. So I, I guess it's just very easy to know like international students from YNC. But, you know, I, I think uh, Matthew, as you brought up uh, an important point earlier, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, one of the, I suppose, benefits of um, getting to know international friends is also, you know, the cross-cultural exchanges. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious, uh, is there, what what is has been one of the, the juiciest or biggest takeaways that you've had, you know, meeting all these international friends? I think trying their food. Because, I'm, okay, I'm a foodie for, for, for once. <laughs> and then, um, knowing, like, you know, when they introduce their cuisine, I think it's very interesting because it's pretty exotic. Okay, I have a, I think one is a Filipino friend. I, I think it doesn't sound that bad, but I think they ate an entire pork bone or something. I'm not so sure what is it, but it tastes a bit weird for me, I guess. Because most of us, when we try our food, it's always chicken. It's always beef if it's always fish so it's always those like cuts that we can eat but eating a bone <laughs> I think that was something very interesting for me and I have a, Chi- a Chinese friend that brought me to not eating northern Chinese food oh my <laughs> I would say their food is really really like on a palate level very very savory so I think as Singaporeans we always just like oh we're complaining a lot of our MSG and our food but man theirs is, theirs is on the next level how about you guys y'all have tried any other cuisines interesting ones um actually i really i'm a big foodie too so i try to explore a lot of different cuisines actually just went to this place at orchard called wild honey i don't know if any of you have been to it but it's a brunch place and it has um meals from different countries and so essentially in one trip you can try meals from everywhere so it's really nice and you should definitely go matthew if you're a foodie i will i will when did you go to wild honey at orchard by the way um, last Saturday, I think. Oh, it's still there? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, so for context, I used to work at Walt Honey. Oh, no <laughs> Yeah, I used to work at Walt Honey when, when I was, like, when I when I just, like, ORD and I was looking for a job and then I was like, okay, let's just try working at FMV and I worked at Walt Honey and it was not a fun experience. Oh, no, what happened? You know, because... It, like no no like shame on wild honey or anything it's just like you know my my personal experience maybe it's just unlucky or something but um the there were a group of staff like who were working there with me who were not very friendly like they were very um they were all like these like um very like cliquish kind of catty girls and 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 the way that they talked to me was very condescending and i just didn't like that and like if i was like one or two minutes late they would score me for being late and, and I hated the way, I guess I suppose maybe this is just an experience that um that a lot of FNB people working FNB people uh, face right but I, I really disliked the, and I suppose because I was new to FNB like this is my perspective of it it's a fresh take on it I, I really didn't like the way that um you know there is such a big in a way like 
emphasis on the hierarchy between the customer and the server. Okay. So I, I, I was made to feel as if I was serving like the emperor of China or uh, something. You know, yeah. I, I hate and I hate being talked to like that. Yeah. You know, almost feel guilty for going there now. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so, uh, but is there any like international food in particular that you like? Um. Honestly, I really like. Mediterranean food because of the kebabs and stuff. Oh my god, I am in love with them. I could eat them for every single main meal. What about you, Matthew? I love Japanese food. Okay, this is very this is very unpopular, but I cannot eat raw food, so I don't eat sashimi. But I love everything Jap- Japanese. So along the lines of like uh, katsu curry, ramen, udon. Yeah, I'm always that Japanese guy. But ha, don't serve me raw sashimi. I will actually puke. Hey, how about you, Douglas? <laughs> Actually, I have the same experience hey. as you before. Because there, there was one time when I was a kid and I ate raw sashimi. And I had, I think maybe it wasn't clean properly or something. But mm. I had such a bad like diarrhea afterwards that I swore never again that I would eat sashimi. But yeah, I, I think if I were to name like one international cuisine, it would probably be French food. Oh, you know, it's, oh. it's very stereotypical. But yeah, I do love like French fine dining and stuff. Like so what's so one dish that you really like? Um, I think it would be duck confit. Like oh. the way that it's just slow cooked until it's juicy and moist and it melts in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely give that a try the next time I go for French food. Oh, why not Thanks go to France that. and eat it? <laughs> ah. <laughs> nice idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how about we start, you know, like introducing um, the, the concept for a show for our audience. So, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about you know, international cuisines, international friends, international this and that. And I think that should give you a pretty big hint on what this show is about. Mm. So um, actually, our guest coming later um, will be, is himself an international student um, from, you know, who with a wide experience in multiple places. And basically the, the concept of this show is, you know, to, to talk to our international friends, to get to know them better, and hopefully to, you know, to have to, to, to share their intercultural experiences with, with all of you. Um, what, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think, as Douglas said, I think the show is mainly about, you know, learning about different cultures and different places through the voices of people who have lived there and experienced those cultures. So I think it's a great way to sort of um, learn about different places without actually traveling to them. So yeah, this is kind of a shortcut to that. And and I would like to add on as well. I think it's nice to hear like because we always have a very local perspective. I'm pretty sure a lot of us just live in Singapore, but maybe hearing hearing his stories, we could be more interested in like, hey, you know, how does Singapore? What is different from Singapore? What is the world out there? And what are the different experiences that? we Singaporeans may not have the privilege or maybe even sometimes the luck to experience that. So I think that would be a very interesting take on it. Yeah. And if anything, I think talking to someone or an international person about, you know, traveling and overseas things against just, just allows us to live like vicariously through them and to experience what we've been long missing for two years and counting now. We are very, very much looking forward to talking to our guest who is from... Tunisia, actually. Oh, Tunisia. Okay. Uh, how how long has he been in Singapore for? I think one, 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 two years around there. Yeah, because he just came here from what he's from year in US, so he's he's in his second year. So I think, yeah, I think it will be interesting to hear his how his one year in Singapore has been, especially during a pandemic time. I see. Okay. So unfortunately, for now, we will be taking a short break, but please do not go anywhere because we'll be right back to talk to our international friend. 
All right. See you. See you. Bye. Hi everyone, welcome back. And today we've got our highly esteemed guest. Hi everyone. Hey, he's Momo from, yeah, from UNUS. Welcome. Thank you, thank Woo! you for having me. This is very exciting. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourself, Momo, and tell us a bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, how I usually introduce myself, I would say, my name is Momo. I'm originally from Tunisia, but I've been around quite a lot before coming here to Singapore. I am a second year student at Yale and US College and I major in MCS, which is basically maths and computer science. That yeah. sounds really, really technical and <laughs> intense. Very intense. <laughs> not really. Not as intense as life sciences. <laughs> no way. <laughs> what, what, what made you want to come to Singapore of all places? That's a great question, actually. I never intended to come here. Uh, it was merely by luck, I would say. I mean, I applied to Yale, but then they offered you the option to submit your application to Singapore as well. So at the end of uh, my review process around March 20th, I had all my decisions in front of me, around six countries, and then I had to sit down and make a lot of uh, decisions, some of them financial, some of them how far I want to be from home. And the, the keyword here, I actually want to be far from home, so the, the, the farther the better. Um, uh, yeah, the academics, the culture, how familiar am I with the place? Again, less familiar is better. And um, yeah. Why did you want to leave your home so badly? Um, I actually wasn't home when I was applying. When I was applying, I was applying from South Africa. Uh, I was going to boarding international school there. And then I didn't even apply to universities in, in Tunisia. The university system is not really the best. It's francophone, so it's mostly in French. But I'm an English speaker, at least academically. I, I spoke English much more than I did French, so it wasn't really an option for me. Um, I did consider a few universities in France, but then I moved on very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So are the universities in France also based in French? Are the courses based in French? Yes, all all the universities that I applied to in in France, I only applied to two, but they're both uh, French university, French national universities, and they taught in in French. Yeah. So I guess you're fluent in French. Then. I'm I'm a native speaker in Ooh, in French. As, wow. as, as, so to, okay, small Tunisians speak French and Arabic as native languages. So in for example, if you go to a municipality, you can choose to speak in French or in English. In the same way that in Singapore, you can choose to speak one of the one of the national languages or the working language. Yeah. Well, but actually your English is really good. So how do you actually learn English? Is it a home thing or is it like the international school thing? It's probably the international school thing. Um, yeah, my. I wouldn't, I mean, I would say that I'm more fluent in English than I am in both my native languages, but I wouldn't call English my native language. And yeah, I, I wouldn't call it my native language, but I think I'm quite good because of all of my academic experiences have been in English, all of the essays that I've written, all of the friends I think that I've made in the past five years have spoken English. So yeah. But importantly, do you like think in English? Yes, you're... absolutely. I think that's one of the main... Uh, not gonna. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say bad things about uh, language teaching in in 
in NUS and in LNUS. But I think one of the main things of learning language is immersing yourself in it. So uh, one story I, I like to tell is uh, my French teacher when I was a kid, I never heard her in my life speak in Arabic. The one time, uh, and the, uh, my English teacher as well, the one time I heard my English teacher speak in Arabic is when my mom came to school. And then she was talking to her in Arabic. And then I looked, I was like, oh my God, my English teacher yeah. actually does you speak You can speak Arabic. Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, don't, you don't ask, oh, what is this word in this? No, you just like figure it out oh. as you go. And that's how us as babies, we learn languages. So it comes to us very naturally, just be thrown in the world and, and try to figure it out as we go. Because babies, you know, they don't ask you, what is this language in, in baby tongue? Mm. So, so yeah. That's so uh, interesting, quite different from the way I learned mm. my mother tongue in school, which was Hindi, by the way. Mm. Uh, it, it's the national language of India. Mm. So, yeah, we kind of had our lessons based in English. And then we said, what's this word in Hindi? Yeah, very interesting. Yep. It, 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 it's quite... I would say like a contrast from Singapore, at least from my experience, you know, Same. like learning Chinese or, uh, as, as a Chinese person, like even as a Chinese person, by the way, learning Chinese was such a chore and I hated learning Chinese and more, I, I would say that I think the most people hate learning Chinese as well. You know, and, I would agree. And in, in Singapore, like even though Chinese is our, our mother tongue, it, it's it's really bad. Like I think the standard of Chinese here is just so bad. And and the worst part is that most of our Chinese teachers are actually Chinese. So the problem about, as in not Chinese ethnically, but Chinese from China. So the problem about that is that it's very hard to try to ask them to translate or trying to them to understand because I think most of us Singaporeans are actually English speaking <laughs> even at home. So having like, as you said, like, you know, this, if, if, if my teacher, if my Chinese teacher would suddenly speak English fluently, I would just be like, oh my. <laughs> yeah, but that would never happen in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess to build on that, it's, again, it's the, the baby question. Babies are exceptionally good uh, uh, people at, at learning language. I think the only way is to just throw them in and, and wait for it to happen, right? For me, I think the way I learned it is I spoke Arabic at home with my grandparents and mom. And I went to school around four or three. And then I started speaking French. And then when I go to school, the school is 100% in French. So I, I'm forced to, to ask for the fork and for the knife and for the plate and for the towel and, and, and speak in French 100% of the time. And then I moved to an international school. Then I started speaking English 100% of the time. I think also one of the main factors was me living in an English-speaking uh, school. So then I have to talk in English to my friends, to, in, in the dorm, in, to, to my teachers. And I think immersion is the key word. But if you just walk into a class and you just try to learn a language, then you like the class hour ends and you leave and you're speaking in English to your, to your to your teacher is not really that helpful, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. But on that, right, why 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 were you in South Africa? Why why would you move there? Um main, mainly it's uh, I think it's just an opportunity that I identified. So I applied to UWC. Um I, I don't know how many of our uh, listeners are familiar with UWC, it's United World Colleges. These are high schools that teach the International Baccalaureate all over the world. They were very international and amazing. I wanted to attend one of them, uh, but sadly, I, I wasn't selected uh, for, for admission. But then I was like, oh, I actually am in love with living in a very, very international high school. So what I did is I checked out other schools that are very similar, that have similar missions. And this school in South Africa called the African Leadership Academy or ALA um, was accepting applications. Actually, it was 10 days after the admission deadline. But I reached out by email and I was like, oh, please, I want to apply. They were like, you have 12 hours to fill the application. And I filled it. And then I was able to go there and it was really, really exciting for me. Yeah. But your parents were supportive of you flying away so far away from home at such a young age. Like, wouldn't they miss you? Or like, what, what made you? Because I, I suppose at least in Singapore, from the mindset that I'm thinking, it's that everyone here follows the same route. It's always just like 
primary school, secondary school, JC, then then uni. Nobody thinks about like, oh, I want to go to UWC in South Africa, you know? Like so what what prompted you to just like change your whole life like that? That is a great question. I think it's a culture shock for me how much your parents have to say in your lives after you're 16. I don't think my I consulted. I don't think I asked. I mean, I did ask them for money, but it it, it wasn't their decision to make. I mean, they would have supported me either way. They would have given, my mom did give me advice to not go to South Africa, right? My dad was like, I don't care. You live in a completely different world than me. You you go wherever you want. As long as it's financially feasible for us to do so, you can go. So I don't think I consulted them. I applied and then I went there. And I, I think I remember I called my mom two, three days apart. And then I, I called her, uh, I think on the 30th of June, 2017 or something. I was like, oh, I have, I got into this summer program in the United States. I'm going there for three weeks. And she was like, oh, that's great. Good job. And then I called her three days later. I was like, oh, I got into this uh, program in South Africa. She was like, oh, is it three weeks as well? I was like, it's two years. And she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> oh. But yeah, that's how, how it goes. I don't really ask them about their opinions simply because they were a product of a different a different time. I think your parents and you, they, there isn't that much difference. They also went through JC. They also went probably to university or not. But my parents did a completely different thing. My mom went to a French education system. My dad did the Tunisian education system. So they had different paths and they can't project that onto me because the product of their upbringing is that I don't speak those languages. Uh, no, I, I don't academically follow those paths. So I actually, they can't give me advice even if they wanted to. So yeah. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. That's so interesting. So you spoke about that being a culture shock. Has there been any other significant culture shock that you've experienced in Singapore or otherwise? Hmm. Fork and spoon. Hmm? Why? For fork and spoon. So fork and spoon. That doesn't that doesn't work. <laughs> Wait, do you not use a fork and spoon in no, Tunisia? What do you use? Hold up. My hands. A, I mean a fork and a knife. Oh, okay. I'm from India, so I use my oh, hands okay. to eat. Yeah. But I just look at it. I mean, I was yeah, I guess this is a bit of a cliche, but I I, I was taught the quote unquote colonial proper way of eating. Like, and it's uh, fork for fork for everything, uh, uh, knife for cutting, and then spoon for soups or desserts. So there are two types of spoon: big spoon for soups and small spoon for dessert. But rice, anything that is granular, you eat it with a with a fork, and then you push it with the knife. Wow. So when I came here and then I go to the dining hall and I walk in, she hands me a fork and a spoon and I just like I'm like, what am I gonna cut the meat with? <laughs> and that's a great question that never answered. Then I ask, like, can can I get a knife? So. Since day one, I've become the, the the guy who takes a knife in the dining hall. So they actually have, I think, four or five knives there <laughs> for a couple of members of staff and myself who ask for a knife every single day. So so that's that. Yeah. I suppose maybe because Singaporeans are known, like culturally, you're just known to be very like fast and efficient, you know, and maybe like having an extra uh, piece of cutlery is just like a waste of time. You can just do the same job with a spoon, right? Hmm. I mean, I don't take the spoon. It's just a fork and a knife. Oh, okay. You just, you just return the spoon. I mean, they don't give me a spoon anymore. They got <laughs> But now we have a new dining provider and they don't have knives, so I'm mad. Oh. But, um, but yeah. Actually, actually um, I wanted to ask this, right? When, before, you, before you came to Singapore, what was your perspective of Singapore? Or what, or what like, do you think Singapore was like? I, it's impressive how little I actually knew about this country when I signed up to come. I just made like three Googles about Singapore. I watched like, what is it? Poly Matter, like that YouTube channel. <laughs> Poly Matter, yeah. I love Singapore. How Singapore solved housing. How, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it gives a very, very positive perspective of the country. And I think that's, that's basically about it. I mean, 
I knew about Singapore. I knew a bit about Lee Kuan Yew. My mom is kind of a fanatic. She did read his books. And um, yeah, that's that's basically it. But I didn't know much about the country until I actually arrived here. But, but you at least knew that Singapore wasn't a place in China, right? Oh, that's what my Please grandma that. that's what my grandma still thinks today. <laughs> I never corrected her. The first the first day I was like, I'm going to Singapore for university. She's like, Oh yeah, China is the future. <laughs> I mean, I mean this the statement is in, is not correct, right? Although the recent media news can discredit that. But like but China is the future is a great statement, but the assumption of that is that Singapore is part of China. But I never corrected her. <laughs> I don't think she still know I don't think she never bothered to Google it. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. What was it maybe your biggest impression of Singapore before coming here, and, and how is that different from when you spa- after you spent time here? It just didn't look as hot as it does mm. on the photos. Yeah. You know, the only way I knew how hot it was was when YouTubers be in like a cafe and then they leave, and then I see their cameras fogging. Like, what is wrong with their camera, <laughs> and why is all their cameras bad? And I realized the second I landed in Shanghai, I was like, oh, God. It's so hot, right? No, it's not the heat. It's the, the humidity. humidity. I just want to cry every single time. But yeah, that's about it. That's the biggest culture shock. I don't think it's a culture shock. I don't think it counts, but that's it. Yeah, the humidity is such a killer of movie. Like, like honestly, it doesn't, don't you think it makes you feel so tired just doing anything outdoors? I just want to saddle inside my room and watch Netflix. Really? Yeah. yeah. What's it like in Tunisia, actually? Is it also... It's not this hot, presumably, right? So, it's hotter in the summer and colder in the winter. It has four seasons. It's a Mediterranean country. So, I mean, I live in the northernmost tip of Tunisia, the capital, but I live a bit north of the capital. And then it's basically a very Mediterranean climate. Think of uh, Italy, you know, those white and blue buildings. That's kind of the, the area that I live in. Something very Mediterranean, very green, very nice. What what the sea does is that it, it it makes it colder in the summer and hotter in the winter. It preserves right. humidity, uh, in in when it's when it's very dry. Um, yeah. What is it like? I mean, it it's pretty dry. So fifteen to thirty five percent humidity most of the year, and then it's uh it's quite nice. Uh, weather wise, would I choose to live there over Singapore? Probably not for for a number of reasons. One of which is uh, income levels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> income yeah. levels doesn't like like it's a lot. Lower. Lower. Let me give you an example. How much would you think a loaf of bread would cost? In in where? A, 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 in in okay. Singapore I mean, how how much in in Singapore, for example, a loaf of like a baguette. That's basically the, okay. the national. For yeah. baguette, I'll say four dollars. Four dollars. Yeah. Four dollars. Okay, so it's uh okay. How do I make this? Ten cents. Nine cents. What? what? No. Wait. You serious? It's eight cents. In Tunisia. Yes. It's eight cents. So it's eight cents. But no way. So basically, a whole baguette. I think about. 400 grams of, of carbohydrates. It's just, just like, it's, it's eight cents. So when you, you see a country that's that cheap, you already recognize that their incomes must also be proportionally less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an average income back home for a, for someone would be maybe $400 a month, uh, 400, 300, 500, something like that. And, and, and when you think about it, like, yeah, I mean, you, you'll be living fine in the country itself, but that wouldn't provide you with as much opportunity to go outside to, to explore and travel. And I think that makes it just poorer on the global scale and I don't like that. Uh, one of the main reasons why I, I never considered staying. Yeah. So you, you must consider yourself like a true cosmopolitan citizen of the world, right? Kind of. Yeah. Yes, I hope. I mean, with all of its goods and all of its bads. So, so what lies in store for you? Singapore or America or, or Europe? Or... I'm not sure. I mean, I'll, I'll see where, where life takes me. All the recent developments have actually made me reconsider 
uh, my plans for the future and how much I wanted to stay in Asia versus go back to the West or go back to Africa or somewhere else. Um, but yeah, um, the, the plan for this particular moment would be uh, grad, grad school in, in either Europe or the United States. Yeah. Ah, I see. Yeah. Okay. So right now, the remaining um, five minutes that we have, we are going to play this game called This or That. It'll be a really fast game. It's a, it's a fire game. So basically how this game works is that all of us are going to ask you. We're going to take turns to ask you. And, and you can ask us as well afterwards. You know, um, we're going to present you a dichotomy between two options. You know, this or that, like nasi lemak, chicken rice, mm. uh, you know, you know, and, and so on. It's a very, very simple game. And then you got to take one option and you got to explain yourself why. And then afterwards, you can ask us a question as well. So who would like to begin the first question? Oh, you've been preparing a question. <laughs> as a guest, I think you should go first. Oh, I asked you guys this Yeah. Mm. Oh, God. Okay, let me think. Huh. Being rich in a poor country or poor in a rich country? Okay, being middle class in a rich country or, 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 or rich in a middle class country? Wow. Whoa. Okay, as an economist myself, <laughs> uh, I would say middle income in a rich country. Why? Because the qualities of services in the rich country will be benefit. Will, you will you will enjoy the benefits as well. So like healthcare, education, food, and everything. You know, you get to experience that. And I'm and I'm pretty sure if I'm like in a middle country, I mean, yes, definitely, I will I will be able to afford a bungalow. I'll be able to afford a car cheaply. But you know, you won't be able to access those kind of quality. Um, uh, material standard of living <laughs> but yeah so I would say like um, yeah middle income and rich country by far yeah and as an economist with one third of my modules coming from political science I would add on to that and say probably the middle income with being a, a middle income person in a rich country because what what I've learned is that very often right it's, it's not just about material well-being also it's about what the society it's like, and obviously, I'm not saying that all rich countries are socially a certain way and all poor countries are socially, but there is a trend that, you know, like wealthier countries tend to be more socially liberal and, and, and global in outlook. And, and I would like to live in a place that is progressive and liberal and maybe not somewhere where I can get like cane for it, you know, like, you know, for it. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you both have presented very economically sound arguments. And so because of that, I'm going to choose middle income in a rich country. Um, should we move on to the next question, Matthew? Okay, mine is a bit more, very, very trivial. Okay, so do you prefer coffee in Singapore or coffee in a cafe? <laughs> like a Singapore coffee shop? I'm going to offend half of your uh, listeners, right? I mean, I already told you, I, I do not like Singaporean coffee. Because I don't put any sugar or any milk in my coffee. So I actually drink pure coffee and pure Singaporean coffee does not taste good. At least not to me. Um, I love Kai Toast though. With the so I just get the Kai Toast and I don't get the coffee. Um, but uh, coffee will be in a cafe, 100%. Oh, because you, you don't like milk and sugar in it? or Yeah, I mean, when you don't add milk and sugar, it, it does taste quite bad. Oh, but, but there is Singaporean coffee with milk and sugar. I know, I know that, but I don't add milk and sugar. Oh, you don't so, add so I actually have to compare the, how it tastes pure. Uh, so he orders kopi o kosong. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. I do know that, you know? Kopi si kosong will be with evaporated milk. Wow. And then kosong means no sugar. So it'll be like... Wow. That's so interesting. I don't know the distinguishing <laughs> myself. Um, I think I'll pick coffee in a cafe as well. I really enjoy it. Um, the atmosphere of cafes. So actually, like, go cafe hopping and try to find the most ambient place to be. So, yeah, coffee in a cafe. 
I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And, and I understand that, you know, cafes are bougie and all that, but I think there is something about eating in a heartland coffee shop in the morning in like a pair of flip-flops and, you know, like shorts. <laughs> that just feels so much like home and I, I do enjoy that yeah. a lot. Yeah, I agree. Dollars, yeah, I'm, I'm super, I'm I'm super thrifty. So like to me, seventy cents for a coffee versus five seventy for a coffee, definitely I'll go for the the cheaper option. I think I just need my cafe fix, and I'm I'm good. I don't really care about the quality too much. Okay, next this or that, life in Singapore or life in Tunisia. Hmm. I'm certainly much more comfortable in Tunisia, and I never have to take public transport because I think. There isn't public. I'm pretty sure there isn't like a good public transport everywhere. Um, in terms of pure socioeconomical stand, socioeconomic standing, I'll probably be much better off um, in Tunisia with the same income. But coming to Singapore here, one of the great benefits how safe it is, how I can go anywhere without having to think much about oh I need to come back before seven p.m. and then the sun sets down and all the all the people who want to take your phone and your bag come out. Oh, so, um, oh no. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Definitely Singapore for the safety, but I would I would still live in Tunisia with with it. So to answer my own question, I would choose a higher income in a lower income country because that provides you with a lot more uh, luxury. Yeah. I see. Okay, and on that note, we will be taking a short break now, but please do not go away. We will be coming back with more juicy questions for our international friend. See you. Welcome back. Um, with us here, um, just to remind you, we have our, our friend uh, Momo, who is from Tunisia, and we've got uh, a bunch of really juicy questions to ask him. So how about Matthew? Take it away. Okay, Momo, I need to ask you this. What is something that you like in Singapore as compared to like other countries that you've been in? Hmm. I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's a great question that that, that segues into a, a great point, I think. But um, I come from... So the last country I lived in before coming to Singapore is South Africa, right? I mean, if you Google South Africa, first stuff is going to pop up. It's about how unsafe the country is, but it's tumultuous history of racial in racial unharmony and that kind of stuff. But basically, um, I came from the one of the un, least safe countries in the world to one of the safest uh, city-states in the world. And that is that was a very great transition. And I had to adapt to leaving my wallet places that adapt to leaving my laptop in the library and coming back 15 minutes later about an hour later to uh to find it intact and and safe and i think that's one of the greatest things you guys have here um yeah and and actually okay for when we were talking to you like during the break you mentioned something about a security guard do you want to tell listeners a bit more about that sure um uh yeah, I mean, in South Africa, it's very, very common to have private security for any institution or any 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 place of living. Um, how I, I like to say this to my Singaporean friend is, while you guys pay taxes in this country and you consider security to be as, uh, something the government provides, in South Africa, it is very, very kind of wildly known that security is a commodity that you purchase. It's not something that comes by default. You're not by default supposed to be secure at all times. So you have to purchase it. Um, uh, basically, people who have housing estates would just hire collectively a security company. Actually, everywhere you go, you'd find a little security logo on the door of a of a of, of a house or of a business, and then you know that that is the company protecting this place. So that 
basically companies now compete for brands. So, oh, when you have this company's logo, you know that you're hiring the most expensive series. So when someone is going to rob, they know that this company is very strong and their headquarters are like around the corner. So they'll come with helicopters and and guns to arrest you. So Wait, like you really? look, yeah. You look, <laughs> helicopters, wow. I mean, okay, no, maybe not helicopters. I don't know. So I, I, I've never seen something like that. But yeah, I mean, that's, so brand, so basically it's a commodity service, a free market flow for for security services. And my high school was an example of that. So we hired uh, a company that, that does security. So we have 24-hour security guards with AK-47, proper, proper, Holy. full ammunition guns. Like it's not like for fun. And and all I think that I've never seen a wall in South Africa that didn't have some sort of electric uh, Ooh, kind of electric grid, fence. electric fence on top of it. And I've never seen it in Singapore, apart from the American embassy, which is which is really good. I think it's a great thing. Uh, when we go to the mall, for example, in my high school, we have uh, so basically we have to apply uh, 24 hours in advance. And then they provide us with security to go with us to the mall. And usually the security is armed. So they would take a bus full of students and then a little car with two or three security guards who would follow us around in the mall, making sure that we're safe. Wait, isn't it so restrictive though? Like, look, I mean, if I want to go to Orchard now, I'm like for some casual shopping, I'm just like, go. But if you want to go to the mall, you have to organize security and a shaper or whatever. Like, isn't it so suffocating, restricting? I mean, talking to Singaporeans, I think the last thing you guys will struggle with is uh, restrictive... <laughs> <laughs> restrictive policies for the greater good. I mean, it's an unsafe country. So if you actually go, they will rob you. It's it's not a question of if. It's a guarantee. You will be robbed. <laughs> So it's, it's even worse than COVID. <laughs> so but, it's more uh, of a blessing than a restriction, I guess. I mean, it's a privilege, I would say. Okay. I, mean, I mean, we would all rather that South Africa is a safe country that we can walk. But South Africa is also a very unwalkable country. As in, it's a very, very vast country I mean, by like ginormous measures. And I think going to the mall is a is a 16 kilometer oh, car ride. Whoa. That's still in the city, right? But we don't have anything that's above two, 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 two stories except like downtown, downtown. And downtown, downtown is one of the most dangerous places. But like, when you think about it, you can't actually walk anywhere. You can't probably take public transport anywhere. So it's just cars. And the problem with cars is that you're crossing like a very wide highway. They can stop you. They can like, gunpoint you and they can just kidnap you. Which is not which is not fun, but um, yeah. So it is a it is a privilege more than it is either a blessing or a, or, or a curse. It's it's just something that going to a pretty secure high school provides you with. Yeah. Yeah. So um, talking about high school and stuff, you've been a part of the educational system in multiple countries. So how do you what what what's the difference? How do you compare each of them? Hmm. So I've done the Tunisian education system, which is uh, it's kind of it's a hybrid French. And Arabic education system, all the sciences we study them in French, all the literature and the history we study in 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 Arabic, and then I transitioned into a French education system where I studied purely everything in in French. Then I went to an American kind of speaking uh, middle school, in which case I've done a bit of the AP system. And American education system is just really funny in in a good way, as and it's pretty easy. And then I transitioned to South Africa, in which I did the A levels, which is like the not the Singaporean A levels, the Cambridge A levels, which is significantly easier than you guys' A levels. I can't even tutor Singaporeans math. You guys know so much more. But um, but yeah, um, those are the different systems. The transitions weren't as hard as people make them out make them out to be. I mean, if you're grasping the content, fine. Language just one 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 tiny element of that, and in, for in my case, it didn't really affect me much. Uh, if anything, it was kind of exciting, you know. Oh, actually, you know, that concept you know, in the other language, this concept is called this, which connects to this. For example, yesterday in my uh, linear algebra class, Prof was like, oh, we call them linear functions, but the proper term will be affine functions because they are not actually linear in the subspace. And when you look at it, I was like, oh, yeah, 
In the French education system, we never call them linear. We call them affine from the start. So you you make very interesting connections. Uh, it makes you sound smarter than you actually are in class. And I think that's what I like about it. This is a blessing more than it is a curse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so far I know we've been talking a lot, a lot about a lot of positive things. So to ask you a really juicy question, <laughs> what's one thing that you, or the most, the biggest thing that you dislike about Singapore? Mm. I dislike how transactional it all feels at some point, especially when you're down uh, emotionally. You you walk to, I mean, you, you shared your experience working in an F&B place, right? But I actually feel the exact same way from the other side uh, of, of the counter, right? I feel that there's very little communication. I think COVID just made it worse. I've never seen Singapore pre-COVID. Um, and, and COVID, I think, made it worse. But it's it's just lack of emotion. Like I go to, a, I mean, there's also a pretty significant language barrier. But I still see it in my Chinese friends communicating in the hawker center. I try, hi, good morning, how are you? And then I ask my order. But that's actually an inconvenience to the lady, which I understand. She's also on the clock. She's also trying to make her living. But um, that transactionality it just makes it so impersonal and so... Um, yeah, like the spontaneous interaction, spontaneous questions don't happen. You don't speak on the elevator. You don't say hi on the street. Even when you know the person, sometimes just like nod and pass. But that'll be very rude where I come from, where I come from in, with an S at the end. But yeah, oh, uh, that's one of the the, the, the the sad parts about being here. Yeah. Actually, that's something that, that I noticed as well. Like, it was a very big cultural shock for me. Like whenever I travel overseas, like to the to US or to like, England, I remember like, when, uh, you know, because in, in England, like you're walking there is a very big thing. And I used to love going on walk. So I just, you know, in the morning, I just wake up and go for my walk. And then like when I when people walk by me, they'll actually say, hi, good morning. Like, How's your day? Then I'm like, Sh- Hi, I guess I, I don't know you. Do I know you? Yeah, do I know you exactly? So then like, you sort of like make yourself say hi as well, you know, like you take the initiative to say hi. Then, you know, when I, it's only when I came back to Singapore, then I realized, oh my God, people there actually, or, or like when the casual, you know, starts a conversation with, with you, like, like what? Who, it's, it's so strange. Who does that? You know, it, it, I think it's just a very like Singaporean thing. Yeah. Hmm. And then, okay, so my next question for you is speaking of like what you don't like about Singapore, but what is something that you find Singaporeans or Singapore weird about? Like, I mean, other than their fork and spoon thing. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's just it's amazing how adaptive humans are to weather. It's just crazy to me that you can just chill outside when it's like 100% humidity and be perfectly I mean, I'm pretty sure you'd rather be in an air conditioner, but you don't sweat. You don't feel uncomfortable. You don't feel your clothes stick. And that's just amazing to me. Just I've been trying to learn how to do that. I've been trying to stay outside as much as possible. But it's just, I think it's something that if you you if you hadn't lived most of your life in this country, it's not something that's going to happen. Um, something else that's weird. Hmm. Oh, how many payments apps you have? Like, why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pay now. Like, why? I, I just never get it. I mean, again, coming from so coming from Tunisia, everything's in cash. We do not have online payments, and it's very coming from South Africa. Everyone has a credit card, a debit card, I guess. Even as as a small stall on the street side next to the bus, so very sketchy. They will have this little Bluetooth device that they connect to their phones, and you can tap and you can pay wave there as well. So just everything is pay wave. And coming here is like, okay, now I have this app and this app and this app and this app, and this one takes fifteen seconds to load. This one. Needs to do an update. The other one doesn't connect. Mm. Oh my god! Yeah, but that's one of the main things. Okay, I, yeah, yeah. So on the topic of adapting and adaptability, how has how how has it been adapting to you know the different cultures and the different you know 
lifestyles of these different countries moving around as a child? Hmm. I mean, I was I was mostly privileged in so far as I I was in communities that were very similar to me, right? Like in every country I go to, I'm around other internationals who are also moving. And because I grew up in a kind of a community of constant movement, I've never really thought of it any different. Um, what we call a YNC the third culture, third culture people, they just, you know, people who don't have a proper quote, quote, home to go to, and they just thrive in, in moments of change. And one of the great things about that is the adaptability of it. One of the downsides of that is, well, well, the lack of that that proper home, the proper sense of belonging to somewhere. When I go home right now, even though I hold a Tunisian passport, I will be speak, spoken to in English. Uh, they would assume I'm a foreigner before they assume I'm a local. Which well, is, why, why do they assume that you're a foreigner? I just like mannerisms, ways, like how I walk, how I, I, I have no idea, but, but usually I don't get clocked, quote unquote, as a local. And that kind of hurt. I mean, they, they don't do it voluntarily, but you just arrive in your security guard and the first person is going to stamp before they see your pass, but they would speak to you in French or in English. And that's kind of, you know, it just hurts a tiny bit. And then you show your pass, like, oh, you're Tunisian. And they're just speaking to you in Arabic, which is, which is nice. But, but um, yeah. don't, don't, or, do you look Tunisian or? Is I, that... I, I do look, I mean, the problem with, uh, with, with uh, North Africans is that is, the Mediterranean is a very funny place. Southern Europeans and Northern Africans look almost sometimes interchangeable. Like when you look at a Southern European Italian man, of very dark hair, very light skin, sometimes some of the, North Africans also look like that. So the, the racial ambiguity is there, but sometimes we pick on where someone is from from their mannerisms. And when when you don't get associated with your country, sometimes it's just yeah. Well, what's a Tunisian mannerism that you don't have then? That's a great question. Um I have no clue. It's I mean I I I have no clue. I mean I I guess I'm not on the other side, right? I don't see what what the what the security person what the customs agent would see. But yeah. Hmm, okay, that's very, very interesting, actually. So I think my question then is, actually because I've been I've been doing a module on, on nationalism and, and, you know, I've been studying what it means to be a global citizen versus a citizen, you know, who is tied to the locale. Um, do you, even though, you know, you spend so much time, you know, traveling around and, and being basically a citizen of the world or what some people would call, uh, like, rootless do you feel any sense of national belonging to tunisia or is it just like do you even feel any sense of belonging anywhere or are you just you know a free-moving person i do feel a sense of belonging to tunisia insofar as it hosts so right now in this moment it doesn't host a lot of my family members but it, it it's the kind of the typical place where we just meet up and my memories i i lived in in my childhood there for for, for quite a substantial time I, my memories are tied to there my grandparents are there. My last name is from there. My passport will always uh, I'll be from there. I, I told Matthew about a decision I have to make in the, the next few months. And I, I don't want to share, but it's a decision that involves actually choosing uh, whether or not I want this belonging to persist. And I do. Uh, um, so, yeah, I still feel a connection to that place. Not as strong as it was a few years ago. Because now when I come to Singapore, I tell them about South Africa. When I went to South Africa, I tell them about the United States. And it keeps... Uh, being a, a thread that becomes finer and finer at each time and then the comparisons become fresher from the countries that I lived in more recently. So it's a it's an interesting I've never I haven't spent more than two weeks in my home country since 2017. Uh, it's more than two successive weeks. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this is a very, very important question that I really want to know. How do you find Singaporeans? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
even though YNC is like 50% internationals and 50%, I think most of my friends, close friends at YNC are Singaporeans. Um, a shout out to Jolene, shout out to Dylan. They're all like very, very close uh, friends of mine. They're, I mean, that they were amazing. Even before coming to Singapore, when it was still COVID and all, we were on Zoom and we planned. And then I came here and they showed me around and they showed me food and they were there when I was crying. They were there when I was happy. So I... I, I think my perception is skewed. I do like you guys because I like them. So be thankful to Jolene, Dylan, my kid, and all the others. Yeah. Well, if, if you want them to, to, to be listening to your things, you should ask them to listen to our show as well. <laughs> wow, great segue. <laughs> yeah, so um, what you mentioned your love for your homeland. So what's one thing, one feature or one memory maybe uh, that really stands out when you think of Tunisia? I guess it's the one place I don't have to be afraid to be treated like a foreigner. And if, if, if the world in the past 10 years has shown anything is that nationalism is on the rise, you, you're taking a course on this. I mean, Singapore's past two years, Singapore's and US's past two weeks, um, um, nationalism is on the rise. And, and that country is the only place where I can sit down and not have to be afraid about applying for a visa and not have to be afraid about my boss not offering me a job because of employment pass. Uh, shortages and not have to be afraid about many other things. It's not a perfect country, but it's I think the only place where I can I can uh, uh, be be comfortable. I guess. Yeah. So then the, I, I suppose that leads me on, you know, to, to the question like, do you where? I think I I asked I asked this to to you like during the break, but we didn't really have time to like fully explore. Where do you think? I, maybe you're not super certain about it at this moment, but where do you think is the more likely place that you'll be you're know, spending your life um, in the future? It's very hard. Um, I agree with Matthew and so far. I love being in metropolises and in cities and in big places, places that have things going on every day, places where I can travel very easily. So that. But where specifically, I honestly have no clue. I could literally in a few months, I could be in a completely different um, um, city from this. I could. It's just too much uncertainty. But I will have to choose. I think especially the past few weeks have made me reconsider how far I want to be from home and from my, order, my, my my upbringing. So I would probably either be in Europe or in the United States in a bigger city, and in Europe or North Africa, North America, uh, in, in, a, in a bigger city or maybe in the Middle East. But I, I, I'm in I'm, I'm love with Asia as Singapore has. I've never been to anywhere in Asia apart from Singapore, but I would, I would rather still be closer to home, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. But just like not in Tunisia? No, no. Cl- close close enough to be making an income from outside of it, but be able also, to go on the weekends. you're primarily driven by income motivations rather than, you know, any sentimental... In, I mean, if you have enough money... I mean, see, some Singaporeans can't afford Sentosa. In, in the same way that if I lived in Tunisia and I got an income from there, I wouldn't be able to afford many of the things that I actually like about the country. So, so it's very important that I make enough income to enjoy my own country because otherwise I'll just be in a loop in it. I think, and, I mean, finances are very big. We don't talk about them enough, but they're extremely important to any, any decision we, we want to make. And one of the drivers of me staying or not staying will be how comfortable I am within the country. Yeah, I see. Okay, maybe the last question because I don't think we have enough time. Okay, so what is something that if you were to leave Singapore that you will miss about Singapore? Let me not mention the safety again. Hmm. It's just how, how things just work. 
sometimes they click, they work. It's a uh, very small detail. I went to do my sync pass. I'm not Singaporean, but because NUS had to make us declare our vaccination status, I just walked in and it took a total of 17 seconds for me to get my <laughs> sync pass password, press enter, bye bye, right? I will miss I'll miss that efficiency, which translates into conversations, right? I just complained about how transactional some things feel. But a few days ago, I was on a call with someone in the Netherlands and I was paying $5 a minute of an international phone call. And the person was very nice to me. Hi, how are you today? And I'm like, please just get to the point. I'm <laughs> so I'll probably miss the efficiency itself. Maybe, yeah, maybe being on a, a time bomb, an international phone call maybe is a bit of a special case. But I will miss how things just work, how it's just pretty efficient sometimes, most of the time, yeah. Mm, I see. And and um, on that note, um, I, I, we really, really enjoyed, you know, talking to you throughout this, this, this conversation. It was so interesting learning about what life is like in Tunisia. I mean, I've never thought about, you know, I mean, we always think about like America or like England, UK, all these big countries, but it's really interesting talking to you about your home country in, in Tunisia and your experiences here as an international student in Singapore. And, you know, these are conversations that I think all of us look forward to having in, in the coming weeks. So um, on that note, we'll have to end this episode now. But before that, um, we, we do have to have some shout outs for social media. Yes, definitely. So do follow us on Radio Pulse at Instagram, R-A-D-I-O-P-U-L-Z-E. And we will see all of you next week. This is um, um, Douglas. Malaveka. And Matthew here. And also thank you to our guest Momo for coming. Thank you. Bye. See Bye. you next week. Bye.